Well, that's my boy. He does a good job, doesn't he? Amen. It's so good to be here tonight. Um, Margaret and I have been doing foreign missions work for quite a while now. Across the county, it seems like a strange land, but uh, as we began singing uh, Beulah Land tonight, I well, I said, well, amen to that. I'm kind of homesick to come back home, you know. Not only this one, but for that one. But uh, we miss you all so much. And uh, I look forward to uh, coming back. Brother John didn't ask me to come preach for him. Actually, Sid did. Uh, Sid was supposed to come back tonight, and he's uh, starting a revival somewhere. And But John did approve it, okay? I want you to know that. But uh, <laughs> he did. He called me Friday after Thursday or Friday. He said, you're still coming, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, unless you changed my mind. And he said, no, you come on. But uh, they're on vacation, so I know it's much deserved and needed and would be much in prayer for them as well. Uh, our family's about the same. I'll give you just an update. Our little Mary Kate, who is 18, uh, is in Africa. We're so proud of her. Her brother, Morgan, I think I shared with you, spent some months there last year working in an orphanage, actually running an orphanage, and uh, did a wonderful job there. And Mary-Kate is somewhere in Africa tonight and working uh, in an orphanage as well, but a different part of, the, of that nation. So please play, pray for Mary-Kate that we miss her and look forward to her uh, coming home again, and hopefully that'll be very soon. But again, it's so good to be here. Thank you for allowing me to do that. I kind of know what's going on because we have our uh, daily meeting down at Jack's, and uh, <laughs> Chester and Tom and Sonny keep me informed of what's going on. You know, I said all along when I was much younger, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm a bunch of old codgers getting together every morning at Jack's. But I'm there, and uh, I fit right in, having a great time. Now, I have to tell you this quick story of a preacher True story, I'm told, went to the home of a new uh, visitor to come to the church a time or two, and he had the address, so he went to her, her house, and he knocked on the door several times. She did not come to the door. And uh, finally he concluded, well, she's not at home, and so he took out his business card, and he wrote on the back of the card, Revelation 3.20. Well, that was fine. Uh, Sunday came around, and uh, the ushers had take up, taken up the offering, and they, one of them came to him, and returned to him his business card where he had written on there Revelation 3.20 on the back of the card under his was written Genesis 3.10 and uh, to share with you what those say uh, you know what Revelation 3.20 says behold I stand at the door and knock and uh, she didn't come of course and Genesis 3.10 simply reads I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm sure uh, he, he appreciated that. Quite a sense of humor on somebody's part, I think. Please open your Bibles, would you, to First Samuel. Some of you are saying, well, First Samuel, where is that? That's, uh, that's before the Second Samuel. Uh, as uh, someone on TV said the other day, there are two parts of the Bible, the first testimonial and the second testimonial. And this is over in the first, the Old Testimonial part, okay? So you'll find it quickly, and I'm going to read uh, several verses tonight. To me, next to Judas Iscariot himself, uh, the most tragic figure in all the Bible, 
happened, should and was to me, Saul, who was king of Israel. Saul, who had everything laid out before him, no man got off to a better start or had a sadder finish than King Saul. And so tonight I want to share with you about that. Uh, Saul was a very tall, uh, good-looking man. Uh, once in a while, God makes such a man like us, you know, to, uh, uh, to break the, <laughs> to break the uh, monotony, I guess. But more importantly than his looks, Saul had the gift of leadership. And occasionally, uh, King Saul exercised uh, good sense, you know. You know his story, of course. Uh, he restrained himself at times. Uh, uh, I think one of the most positive things about King Saul was that he restrained himself at the times of great criticism. And sometimes, you know, we need to learn from that, don't we? We want to retaliate. We want to act out and to fight back when people come and criticize us. But Saul uh, resisted in that area. And yet, again, as I said in the beginning, to me, he is one of the more tragic figures in all the Bible. Because simply, he never mastered himself. Whenever I pray for uh, family members, and, uh, and I do that every day, but in specific cases, uh, just recently we had a niece of ours who came and moved back here from Arizona, and we had the privilege of having her in our home for a day or so. And, and the thing that I prayed for Danielle more than anything else was that God would help her and keep her from herself. And how we need to learn that, to be protected from ourselves so many times, to master ourselves. And so I want us to learn a lesson tonight. I hope and pray that we can. In First Samuel chapter 15, uh, the story is a, a long one. It has all kinds of twists and turns to it. And um, we know, of course, that, that God had... Uh, granted the request of the of the Jewish people. They looked around, they saw other nations with their kings, and so they decided, we no longer want a judge, we want a king like other nations. And so God raised this man, Saul, up to be the first king. And in the course of ruling over Israel, God instructed him, early in the beginning of his days of uh, kingship, he, he told uh, Saul not to take any captives, but to, to go to the Amalekites, who were always a, really the strictest and worst enemy uh, of all that Israel ever had. And so rather than doing what God instructed, you know the story how Saul decided to spare the life of the king of the Amalekites and, and some other things. And I want you to Look at chapter 15, verse 8, and he said, He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, but utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the rest and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse they did destroy. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me, I, I regret that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back and from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved God. And I, I read that verse again this week, and I thought, you know, how, how much like many of us, 
We grieve God because there are times when we walk so close to the Lord and, and do the things He wants us to do. We're obedient. And yet, because of one thing or another, we turn and we walk away. And it grieves God's heart when we do that. Verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Kind of brazen, and really was lying, was he not? Half truth. And Samuel said, really, and there's so many we say today, well, if that's the case, what, what does the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of oxen mean? If you did what God utterly commanded you to do to kill uh, the king and all that was uh, the Amalekites and everything they possess, then explain to me why I hear sheep bleeding. Why do I hear oxen lowing? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Samuel then said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And jump down to verse 17. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, isn't that interesting? When you were little, when you were humble in your own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners. Destroy them, destroy the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly unto and upon thy soil, spoil, and is evil in the sight of the Lord. And Samuel, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord thy God in Gilgad. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. And look at verse 24. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord, thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Verse 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. Several things I want to point out, if I might, about King Saul. In this particular instance, the first thing was this, he was impatient. He was a very impatient man. You go back to the 13th chapter, and you'll read where Samuel had instructed for Saul to wait for him to arrive before bringing an offering and a sacrifice upon the altar to God. Well, Saul was impatient. He, he waited and waited for Samuel, but, but Samuel was late in coming, and so he offered the sacrifice himself. He did not wait on Samuel. And so he had an excuse when Samuel arrived, and, uh, and Samuel really caught him in his act. And so you go back to that uh, 13th chapter, and you have to read the whole story to get the whole picture. But he began to explain rather than to repent. And how many times have we done that? Do we do that? Even before the Lord, we come before him and we begin to try to explain ourselves away when really what God wants from you and from me is repentance. We, we read and we, we hear so much of the tragedies going on in America today, and, and it just breaks our heart. You know, we wonder, well, where is it going to end? Well, folks, it's going to end when the Lord comes back. 
And the Word of God says it's going to get worse and worse and worse before the Lord comes back. But what he wants us to do, and I believe what, what can happen in America, is if we will repent and we will confess our sin, he can and he will heal our land. But as long as we're making excuses rather than repenting, we're going to end up in the same position and condition that Saul found himself, being rejected by God. He was an impatient man. But again, going back to chapter 15, we read it a few moments ago, he also was a disobedient man. God commanded through Samuel, he said to King Saul, kill everything of the Amalekites. Everything. And yet he chose, Saul chose to let King Agag live, and the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen. And as soon as he had done that, what happens? Old Samuel appeared again. Uh, again, it's Saul who started on a high note. Sometimes uh, it says, well, blessed thou uh, who are of the Lord. I, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. He, he begins to kind of excuse himself and to praise Samuel, kind of get him sidetracked, I suppose. He lied. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And so the sheep and the oxen, whatever it was, began to, to bleed and to, and to low. And Samuel said, well... I don't know what that means. But you know what? Something always happens to the man who tries or professes to be something that he's not. Sooner or later, it'll catch up with us. Sooner or later, as grandmother and granddaddy used to say, what's down in the well will come up in the bucket. Whatever's down there will soon come up, and it'll, it'll prove itself to be either good or bad. And when we try to explain away, we try to, to hide the things that we need to confess, uh, it was one day prove us to be one thing or the other. The bleeding of the sheep will catch up with us. And so Saul is lugging around idols of affection. You see, uh, and what did he do? The first thing he did, he said, the people. Remember, I read it three times. Samuel, it was the people. The people, the people made me do it. They caused me to do it. The pressure from the people. Rather than to confess his own sin of disobedience. And as I've said several times already, the worst thing of all is that he did not repent. In verse 24, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed thy voice. That wasn't true repentance. He was simply making an excuse. Some people say, well, he did repent. He said that to Saul, I have sinned against God. Well, folks, listen. That's not repentance. And just to say to one another or to say to God, hey, I've sinned, that's not true repentance. He did not humble himself. He did not repent. He should have said, I have sinned. And, you know, I, he, he brought no fruits meat for repentance. And so he began to justify himself again. Uh, giving God a Sunday now and then is really... Uh, not uh, evidence of a sanctified life either, is it? So many people today, they think, well, I'll give God a token of my time. Uh, one Sunday or two Sundays out of the month, I'll try to make it to church. If nothing else better comes along. And they think they're living a sanctified life. But, you know, King Saul was a stubborn person. He really was. And some, someone has said to him, he was stubborn like a mule. I want you to know that uh, mules are not stubborn. I used to raise mules, and I've handled mules, as some of you have, uh, many, many times. 
most mules that I have known, quite frankly, are a whole lot smarter than their owner. And uh, therein lies the problem. Uh, Samuel looked at Saul, and I saw, I'm sure he saw some stubbornness in him. Uh, but someone has said about a mule, he's always backward about going forward. Think about it. He's always backward about going forward. Saul was that way. He was backward about going forward, and he heard the voice of God, and yet rather than to obey, obey the voice of God, he obeyed the voice of the people. And as he came before Samuel, the priest, anointed of God, he pretended to be sorry, but he really wasn't. And so you read only a few more pages over in First Samuel, you'll discover that, that Samuel died. And King Saul could not get an answer from God any longer. And so what did he do? It is interesting that he turned to the spirit mediums. He called for his uh, leaders to bring to him spirit, spiritualists, uh, mediums that would put him in touch with what he ought to be doing. And you know, I've discovered over the years, and you can put it down, the mark of a man who, who, who fights the will of God will turn back to something that he once ruled out in his life. It's interesting to me how people do that. Things that we turned our backs on, the things that we said we'd never do again, never be a part of that again. Uh, when, when we begin to walk away from God and walk away from God's will, those are the very things that oftentimes a person will go back to, return to those things. And that's exactly what Saul did. And we need to learn lessons from that. And so here the king is trying to call back his last chance. He calls for the medium to come and to interpret and to give him direction and leadership. When all the while Saul had Samuel, while Samuel was alive, he had God's man, and, and Samuel was there to give Saul guidance and to help him through that. Uh, you read on over in the Bible, and of course you read the story of David, and David had Nathan, did he not, to guide him. King Ahab had Elijah, Herod had John the Baptist, and who do you have? You got me. And poor you. But no, you, you have the preachers and you have uh, others who are teachers of the word. You have had godly parents. Uh, some of you men have godly wives, and I hope for all of you do, and wives have godly husbands. You have friends. And yet, uh, so many times, we have many, many miserable souls today because we fail to follow those that God gives to us to lead us and direct us into our, our pathway. I have oftentimes been asked about David. How do you explain the fact that David was guilty of two terrible things, murder and adultery, and yet the Bible says that he, of all the people that have ever lived, was most like God in many ways. You know how the Bible can say that? I believe it's based upon one thing and one thing only. It's, it's based on one verse of Scripture, and I want to read it to you. It's in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. It says this, Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he was commanded all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. The Bible doesn't hide the fact that that David was guilty of murder. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of those terrible sins. But the Bible also indicates that God used David because of one thing. 
He was willing to repent honestly and earnestly of his sin. Folks, that should give you and me hope. That should give us a, a wonderful cause to, uh, to say, you know, well, God can use me. And I want you to know that God can use you no matter who you are, and no matter where you've been, no matter where you are today, tonight. God can use you. He wants to use broken things. God delights in using broken things. And David was broken and he was repentant and of a contrite heart. So different from King Saul, who never truly repented. Many of you in here tonight are gardeners. Margaret and I are big gardeners. We have six tomato plants. We're big gardeners. More tomatoes than we can eat. But I know this about gardening. You have to break the soil before it will yield a crop. The farmer just can't go out and drive a tractor over a field in the springtime and scatter seed everywhere and expect for a crop to come up. He has to break the soil. And when the soil is broken, it yields a crop. We're learning that unless the clouds are broken, there is no rain. Unless the grain is broken, there is no bread. Unless the bread is broken, there is no strength. We think about the alabaster box and that wonderful perfume that was in that place that when they anointed, she anointed the feet of Jesus. Without a weeping Peter who came in brokenness, we would not have ever seen a powerful preacher. And so we must come as these that I've mentioned tonight. In our failures, our shortcomings, and our sins to say, God, I, I repent of that. I truly do. And I want to end up better than the way I started. I want to be found in your favor and obedient to the things that you call me to do. I've heard teachers use the illustration. I heard of a little boy who... He'd been, he'd been bad. And his mother said to him, son, I want you to go and pull your little chair up and sit down in your chair in the corner. And he didn't want to do that. He hated doing that. But nonetheless, he obeyed his mother. And he pulled his little chair up into the corner of his room and he plopped down in the chair and, and she heard him utter under his breath, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I say, you know, that's a lot like you and me, is it not? And sometimes God brings us to the place where we see ourselves in our stubborn rebellion, and, and I know it breaks God's heart. It, it wrecks homes. It wrecks churches. It fills hospital beds. It, it fills graves with suicidal victims. And yet we need to come in brokenness and repentance before God. You know, I want to close tonight and paint for you another picture of another Saul. Had the same name, but uh, this Saul was knocked down and broken. And he was remade. That Old Testament Saul we've talked about tonight started out with a crown, but he ended up with a cross of his own making. And our New Testament Saul started out by submitting to the cross and ended up with a crown of glory. 
Not proud, not stiff-necked, not dry-eyed, no excuse-making. But being honest and broken and repentant. You know, the thing that, that I see less and less in the churches, to which I'm privileged to speak nowadays, is true brokenness. Altar call after altar call, experience after experience, and yet very, very few brokenness. Few tears, few people in the altars. And folks, listen, we, we say we worry about our nation, our future for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And the remedy is only going to come when we come, not with excuse-making, but true, honest, open repentance. And God will hear. He's faithful. He said, I will hear if you'll do that, and I will forgive, and I will heal your land. And we face, I believe, the most critical days that maybe our nation has ever faced this coming November. I really don't know what's going to happen. Neither do you. But I know this. We need to be much in prayer because our nation stands on the brink of either being turned around or going who knows where. And I, for one, love America. I love this flag. I love what it stands for. And I love those who safeguard that for you and for me. Tragically, again today, as David mentioned, three more innocent police officers gunned down for no apparent reason. And on and on that tragedy goes. The lawlessness and the, the uncaring spirit of so many in our nation today. How would he pray? God, let me learn a lesson. Help me to learn a lesson from Saul. Let me, help me to be the one. If I need to come in open and honest repentance, without excuse, that I can finish the race as well as I started. I close with this story I think I shared with you a long time ago. One of our retreat members, one of our Servants Alive retreats that we did, we had two African-American brothers from South Carolina who attended that one particular retreat that stands out in my mind. And one of them told the story of one of his colleagues, a young black minister who had finished college and gone on to seminary, had earned two or three degrees and uh, was just expected to be the one who would rise to the very top of their denomination in denominational life. Had looks, had intelligence, had everything going for him. And was invited to come and preach a, a sermon at the First Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. And he was so very proud of that invitation because no one uh, African-American had ever been extended that kind of invitation before. And and so he did everything he could to prepare himself. He, he, he prepared a message, and he practiced it over and over again and was determined to deliver it without notes or anything and dressed himself to the hilt, bought a new suit of clothes, got to the church a few minutes early, but waited until everyone was in place. And finally, when it was time, he came down the aisle as proud as a peacock. Proud to be there, proud of his education, proud of himself, proud of everything. And he bounded up onto the platform and came to the pulpit to begin his speech. And when he stood at this place, 
he literally froze in place and could not think of one single word that he had prepared to deliver. And in his humiliation and embarrassment, he broke forth in tears and he wept as he walked down off that platform and ran down that aisle and left that church. Two of the sisters were sitting there on the second pew and one looked at the other and said this, if he'd have come in the way he went out, he'd have gone out the way he came in. We come in in humility and open brokenness and repentance and we go out a different way. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so patient with us. We know, Lord, that we're impatient with one another. We're impatient with ourselves. And quite honestly, there are times when we become impatient waiting on you. Because we want things done our way in our time. But tonight, Father, I pray that, <clears throat> that we'll learn valuable lessons, one or more, from King Saul and the error that he made. Such a tragic figure, and yet we can learn from it. <clears throat> I pray, dear Father, that those who may be here who've heard my voice deal with the matter of impatience or a half-heartedness or, Father, returning to things that we once pledged we'd never do or go back to, that, that we just turn from those things again and that, Father, we would truly come and we would come in a repentant attitude to ask once again for your forgiveness. Father, we've heard it said over and over again, and, and yet, Lord, I know it's true. We want to see things change in America. And many of us think that the change needs to begin in the White House. As we see what's happening in the state of Alabama, there are those who think that the change needs to begin in the, the State House. Maybe the change needs to come in the church house. But in fact, Lord, the change needs to come in my house. In my house. And in home, in the house of every person who hears my voice tonight. May genuine revival come, Father. As we're truthful and honest. As we obey you explicitly all the way, not half-heartedly. Not to give you just leftovers or part of what we are, but to give you all that we are. Simply because you deserve it. You command it. You need it. But most of all, you deserve it. And we thank you, Father, for loving us, for being so kind and long-suffering and patient with us. And for that, we will praise you throughout all eternity. Lord, in closing, I don't know um, everything about everybody here. I know most of them, and you know how much I love and appreciate them. But there may be someone here tonight who's living a, a half-hearted life, just kind of half-baked and not really real, just giving a portion or a part of themselves and and their obedience and trusting you, Father, for their, for their everyday existence. And I, I just pray for that person, Lord, because I know that uh, that person has to be just miserable.
living a two-faced lie. And, and yet, Lord, we can live the kind of life that, that you want us to live, a, a life of truthfulness, a life of obedience, a life of joy and happiness. And how I pray that if, if there's one or more here tonight that we need to repent of that, that we do that, Father. We don't have to come down this aisle. We don't have to get in this altar. But if we need to do that, uh, I pray that someone in these two will do it. If their decision needs to be made tonight, Lord, and giving a heart and life to trusting you as Lord and Savior, that that it be done as well. Whatever needs to be done has to be done here tonight. Help us, Lord, to do business with you, serious business. Because we know, Lord, that time is truly short. We look to that great day when... Uh, Jesus comes back to receive us unto himself. But until that day, may we be found faithful. Faithful servants, faithful members of this church, this body that is fitly joined together, working uh, with one another, needing each other. No one person more important than the other, but all dependent upon each other. And with you as our head, bless our pastor tonight and uh, his family as they vacation and But most of all, Father, just in these closing moments,